to greet those who were around you, get caught up there a little bit. And of course, we have our fellowship time after the message where we uh, will do that as well. Open your Bible to uh, Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24 for our scripture reading this morning. Verses 1 through 16. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 16. Verse 1. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death, and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 16. So as I've already mentioned today, we're starting a new series, a new study, and we're looking at the book of Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel. And uh, we have just completed our study in 1 Timothy. And the book of Daniel and 1 Timothy are very different kinds of books. They're very different. In 1 Timothy, we're given instruction for uh, the church, for the Christian life during uh, the time of the church. But in Daniel, it's going to be revealed that what God's plan for the future is and how he uses that one man, Daniel, to reveal it. And so the book of Daniel it's probably one of the more familiar books to us as Christians. Um, when we think about the Old Testament, how many of us can think through the book of Jeremiah? Probably, probably not too many of us. How many of us 
can think through and outline Obadiah in our mind. Not too many of us, but many of us know portions of the book of Daniel. It's very familiar to us, especially if you have grown up in church or have attended church for a long time. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace, right? We've heard that story probably over and over again. Daniel and the lion's den. You know, that's a favorite Sunday school story for kids. And because of the familiarity with certain portions of the book of Daniel, we have to be careful. We have to be careful to avoid seeing this book as a group of disjointed, disconnected, moralistic stories. Can't just take the book of Daniel and say, look, here's young, young Daniel and look how he acted and here's the moral. Look at Daniel and the lines and here's the moral of that story. There's, now, there's a place for that, but that's not all that's there. That's not all that's there. In fact, this is such a challenge that in many churches Many pastors, when they go through the book of Daniel, they don't go through all the book of Daniel. They conveniently leave out some of the more difficult prophetic passages. Well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And we're, we will be taking it all in a bit at a time. Now, one of the more difficult tasks of an expositor, that would be me, one of the more difficult tasks an expositor must ta uh, tackle is to convince the congregation, you, that prophecy is important, necessary, and an essential part of God's word that must be studied just as much and just as carefully as any other passage of God's word even when those passages of prophecy don't easily apply to our lives today. Sometimes the application is way in the future. And so this is kind of a difficult task when people take a dim view of prophecy or they don't want to think about the end times. But uh, I want us to understand that this book has a lot of prophecy in it, and these prophecies are important. Not just knowing what's happening. They're not just important for that reason. They're important because they have an impact on us today. It's uh, interesting or ironic that this month we're going to start two new Bible study series, series at our church. Today we're going to start looking at the book of Daniel, and then on June 30th we're going to start looking at God's plan in history. Uh, these two series go together. In the book of Daniel, in 12 chapters, that's all it is, it's 12 chapters long, it gives us an overview of God's plan in history. It gives us the big picture, and on Thursday nights, we're going to be kind of zooming in to different parts of that big picture of God's overall plan for history. We'll, we'll look at the, the background to it. We'll look and see what God has done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he'll be doing in the future. Daniel covers all of that with a broad, bird's-eye view. And so I would like to say, 
I would like to say I had this planned out months ago that we would cover these two topics uh, side by side, but the reality is I don't plan much beyond the next meal. So it, it, um, I knew what we were going to do, but I didn't know that they would actually coincide into the same month. But this is a good thing for us. It's a good thing for our understanding of God's word. Now, as we begin to tackle the study of this book, one of the key things that must be established is a baseline for the historical nature of this book, the history that's related to this book. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you like history? How many of you like history? Okay, good, good number of hands. Now, how many of you think history is important, whether you like it or not? You still say that history is important. Okay, should be everybody, right? Should be everybody because history is important. When you go to the doctor, one of the first questions they ask you if it's a new doctor, what's your health history? What's the history of your family's health? Um, when you think about our nation and you recognize our history is a unique history among the nations of the earth, we have a unique history and that history says something about who we are today. When you go to the bank to get a loan, what is one of the first things they are interested in? Your credit history. So history is important. Whether we like it or not, we need to recognize that history is important in our lives. And in the, the importance of history goes double for the Bible. You know, each book of the Bible was written in a certain historical context. For instance... Moses wrote at a different time than Isaiah. Totally different time. Isaiah wrote at a different time than Daniel. And Daniel wrote at a different time than the apostles. Understanding the times and the events of those hist historical periods is important for us understanding what the Bible says. If you don't know the history, you're going to miss something in the Word of God. And let me give you an example of how this works. The Bible talks about slaves. Slaves and slavery are all over the Bible. But it speaks of slaves and slavery with three distinct historical periods in mind. First, it speaks of slaves and slavery in the historical period of the ancient Near East. It's way back there, way, way, you know, third and second millennia BC. It also speaks of slavery in the context, the historical context of Judaism, the culture of Israel. Israel treated their slaves different than other nations. you got to understand that. And thirdly, the Bible speaks of slavery in the historical context of the Greco-Roman world, the culture of Greece and Rome. All three of those historical periods and settings are not only distinct from each other, but they're radically different from our American understanding of slavery. That means we can't read back into the book of Daniel what we think of today in modern America. We can't read 
American slavery back into the Old Testament or even the New Testament of the Bible. It's a different historical period, and that is important for us to recognize. So any study of the book of Daniel must begin with at least some acquaintance with the history of Israel. At least some acquaintance. You don't have to know everything, and I'm not going to ask you to memorize a bunch of stuff as we go through this series, although I'll tell you, you probably should memorize certain dates and certain events and, and memorize sequences of events, how they come in order. So I, I am going to ask you to do some of that, but all that begins with understanding something about the history of Israel, Babylon, Persia, and the Greco-Roman Empire. Just, you know, not much. That's just a little bit. I mean, that's only a couple thousand years of history, right? Um, well, don't, uh, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not so ambitious to even think that we can even begin to talk about all of that in uh, one sermon. But I just want you to keep that in the back of your head because it, as we study the book of Daniel, these things are going to come up and you're going to need to know about these things to understand the significance of what Daniel is writing, what God has told him uh, to write. So let's, let's get a touchstone here in the Bible for the beginning of this study. So turn to the book of Daniel. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now this is, this is just providing us with a touchstone where to start. Because next week we're going to come back and we're going to cover verses 1 through uh, 7 of this chapter. But today we're just kind of starting out, setting the foundation, giving us something to build on for the rest of our study. So uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So this is how... The book of Daniel begins, and it begins by giving us some historical context. Now, before we get into that historical context, I want us to recognize the place of Daniel in the Bible, the place of the book of Daniel in the Bible. Now, some of this, you might say, well, that's pretty elementary. I've known this for 50 years, but there's some people who don't know what we're going to talk about here this morning. So, if you already know it, just this is a reminder to you. Refresh your, refresh your mind. So let's start real basic. Daniel in our English translations, Daniel in our English translations is in the Old Testament. Old Testament. The Old Testament is divided up into four big sections. Four big sections. What's the first section of the Old Testament? What do we call that? The law or the Pentateuch, something like that. Law, Pentateuch, it's the same thing. Genesis through Deuteronomy. The second section is called the historical books. This is Joshua through Esther, the historical books. The third section is the poetical or the wisdom books. The wisdom books, Job through Song of Solomon. And the fourth section is the prophets. 
the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi. Now the prophets are then subdivided into two sections. Okay, and you're going to give me the second one. The first section of the prophets is called the major prophets. And guess what the second section is called? Minor prophets. That's right, major and minor prophets. There are four major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Daniel. So in our English Bible, Daniel fits into the major prophets. And so we're, we're pretty familiar with that. We can find Daniel pretty easily in our Bible. Matter of fact, if you um, just look at your Bible like this, and you go to the midsection of it, and just go to the right of the middle of it and then open it up, you're going to come pretty close to the book of Daniel. It's not real hard uh, to find. It's, it's surrounded by big books like Ezekiel and Jeremiah on one side and little bitty books like Hosea, Joel, Amos on the other side. So it's pretty easy to find. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the prophets, and it's in the major prophets. But we also need to understand something about how the book of Daniel fit into the Hebrew Bible. So if we were at the synagogue yesterday, because you don't go to synagogue on Sunday, you go to synagogue on Saturday. But if we were Jews and we were in the synagogue uh, and we had our Bibles as Jews, it would only contain what we call the Old Testament. And in their Bible, the order of the books does not follow our order that we have in our Christian Bible, in our Christian Old Testament. And so the Hebrew Bible doesn't have four divisions. It has three divisions. It has three divisions. I think I give you this on your notes. I'm not sure. Okay, it's, it's not hard to understand. We've been... We've been over this several times in different series that we've had here at the church. So in the Hebrew Bible, the first division, guess what it's called? The law or the Torah, the Torah. The second division is called the prophets. Okay, that's in the Hebrew Bible. It's the prophets. In the English Bible, the prophets come last, but in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets come in the middle. And finally, the last section in the Hebrew Bible is the writings, is the writings. And so the Jews call the, call the law, the Torah, they call the prophets the Nevaim. That's your, one of your Hebrew words today. Nevaim, it just means prophets. Isn't that interesting? It's not too complicated. And they have the Kethuvim, which is their word for writings. And so the Hebrew Bible has these three divisions. Daniel is placed in the writings. Daniel is a part of the writings. He's not put in the prophets in the Hebrew Bible. He's put in the writings, along with Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles, and so on and so forth. He's included toward the end of the Hebrew Bible in the writings. Now, when we see that, we most naturally would ask the question, why? Why isn't Daniel included in the prophets in the Hebrew Bible? And the answer is pretty simple. He's not technically a prophet, okay? When you think of a prophet in the Old Testament, 
Think, think of a Elijah or an Elisha in the Old Testament. Think of a prophet in the Old Testament or, or a Jeremiah or an Isaiah. These prophets were specifically called by God to be a prophet. We don't see that in, for Daniel. We don't see now Daniel prophesied, and so in that respect, he's a prophet, but he doesn't occupy the office or the vocation as a prophet of God. He's a government worker. He works for the city of Rocky Mount, sort of. I mean, it's obviously not, I'm just trying to bring it over to contemporary setting, but that would be how we, we would view him. If we lived in Daniel's time around Daniel, he's a government worker. He, he's a government official. He works for the government. That's his vocation. He, he wasn't called to be a prophet of God by vocation. And so the, the Jews put him in the writings. Now, being in the writings doesn't make what Daniel says any less significant. David and his writings are in that portion of the Hebrew Bible, the Psalms. Very important book. Probably one of the most important books to the Jews is the Psalms. And so just because he doesn't fall into the category of the prophets doesn't mean that this in some way degrades who he is. And so we've seen where the book of Daniel falls in our English Bible. We see where it falls in the Hebrew Bible. We also need to consider some of the language that Daniel uses as he writes. Now, since Daniel is in our Old Testament, in, in uh, the Hebrew portion of our Bibles, we would expect that a great amount of the writing in the book of Daniel would be written in the Hebrew language, and that is true. But we also need to recognize there is a large portion of the book of Daniel that's written in Aramaic. Okay, that's a different language than Hebrew. So I want, I want us this morning, as just a good starting place, to find the Aramaic section in the book of Daniel. So turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 4. Daniel chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 4 says, Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And this is what they said. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. So right here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, right in the middle of the verse, right where in probably many of your Bibles it has a quotation mark, and it says, O king, right there begins the Aramaic section in the book of Daniel. Now turn to chapter 7, verse 28. Chapter 7, verse 28. So the Aramaic portion of the book of Daniel begins in chapter 2, verse 4, and it's going to end here in chapter 7, verse 28. And look what it says here with me. This is the end of the account. Now, you just read that. If you don't read that in context, you say, well, the book's over, isn't it? But it's got a chapter 8, 9, 10, and 12, uh, 11, 12, right? So it can't be over. So 
I think what Daniel is saying here is that this is the end of the account that is related to the Aramaic portion of his writings. And in fact, what we do find is chapter 7, verse 28 is the last verse in Aramaic. When you get to chapter 8, verse 1, Daniel switches back to Hebrew. Now, that's good information for us to have, but let me tell you why that's significant, why that should be important for us. Number one, Aramaic was the lingua franca, the universal language of the ancient world, just like English is today. So if you go on any international flight, all the air traffic control is done in English. That's because English is the universal language of the world today. Aramaic was the universal language of the world in Daniel's day. So this would have been the language that everybody would have some kind of access to. Secondly, the use of the Aramaic language here in the book of Daniel, Daniel's use of this language, switching from Hebrew to Aramaic, indicates to us that the focus of his attention in this section is going to deal with Gentiles. It's going to have a Gentile orientation. And so that's important for us because as we'll talk about the outline here in a little bit, but we, we want to notice that here at the beginning of the book, there is a distinct Gentile orientation to the book of Daniels. And that's important for us because most of us, all of us are Gentiles. And so we see Daniel's place in the Bible. Next, I want us to consider the place of Daniel in the history of Judah. The place of Daniel in the history of Judah. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see where this comes from. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. King of Judah. So where does Daniel, the book of Daniel, fit in the history of, the king, uh, of Judah, of the nation, the kingdom of Judah? All right, so get your running shoes on because we're going to jog through history here real quick. Okay, and, and this, isn't, this isn't in your, your uh, notes here. This is a, a little bit of freestyle on my part. 1408, around that time, the, the Israelites enter the promised land under Joshua. 1408 B.C. They are in the promised land under Joshua for several decades. And so from the mid-1300s to 1050, or actually 10, uh, 1080, is what we consider the times of the judges. The times of the judges. We have a book of the Bible named Judges. It covers a lot of that history. After the times of the judges, we have King Saul. King Saul reigned from 1050 to 1010 B.C. You got King Saul. After King Saul, you have King David from 1010 to 970. From 1010 to 970, you have King David. After King David, you have King 
Solomon, right? King Solomon. He reigns from 970 to 931. King Solomon, 970 to 931. And 931, there is a significant event in the life of the Israelites that will dramatically change what happens to them from that point on. Does anybody remember? Not that you were there. But does anybody remember what happened in 931 B.C. in the nation of Israel? I'm not hearing any right answers here. The divided, the divided kingdom. After Solomon dies, after Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel is divided. And it's divided into two parts. You have the northern kingdom that's called Israel. And you have the southern kingdom that is called Judah. Remember, our verse begins with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, will be a kingdom from 931 to 722. 722 B.C. Now, does anybody remember what happened in 722 B.C.? Assyria, okay? They did something, though. Captured Israel. Assyria captures, conquers Israel, the northern kingdom, in 722 B.C. Okay? 931, divided kingdom. 722, Israel's captured. These are numbers you should remember. 931, divided kingdom. 722, Israel's captured. The southern kingdom, the kingdom called Judah, it lasts from 931 to 586. 586 B.C. And it's at the end, towards the end of that time, where the book of Daniel fits. So Jehoiakim is king of Judah. Now, when we try to think about the history of Israel, we can do it in several different ways. I give you two of those ways in your notes there. One deals with the um, exilic um, period where the pre-exilic period is before the nation goes into exile. Then you have the exilic period. Daniel writes in the exilic period. And then you have the post-exilic period, the, the period after they come back out of Babylonian captivity. So this, this kind of just gives you a broad picture of the, one of the broad pictures of the history of Israel. But we see this history. We see this history unfolding where you go from Moses to Joshua to the judges, the last judge being Samuel. Then you go to the United Kingdom with Saul, David, and Solomon. And then you go to the divided kingdom. And if you want to know more about the divided kingdom, I think it is 23 videos that we did 23 lessons on Thursday nights that we did here at the church. So it's, you know, it's only 23 hours long. Each, each class is an hour long. You can go back and you can review any of those to learn about the divided 
kingdom. And so you're in the divided kingdom in Israel. It's conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C. Judah continues on being a nation. It has some good kings. It has some bad kings. Then all of a sudden, everything changes. And Babylon comes into the picture. And Daniel is going to be taken away captive. And this is where the book of Daniel fits in, at the end of the history of Judah. And it mentions the king here. You see the name of the king here in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The king's name is Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Now, hold your finger here in Daniel and turn back to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 23, because it tells us about Jehoiakim. 2 Kings chapter 23. If you're in Daniel, you go to the left. If you can find 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you keep going to the left. 2nd Kings chapter 23 is pretty much at the end of that book. So 2nd Kings chapter 23, verse 34. Verse 34. This is going to give us the description of the reign of Jehoiakim. It says this, verse 34. You just follow along in your Bible. Then Pharaoh Necho, that's his name, Necho, made Eliakim, that's Jehoiakim's first, that's his original name is Eliakim, made Eliakim the son of Josiah king in his place, in, in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz, and went to Egypt, and he died there. Verse 35, so Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land from everyone according to his assessment. It's your tax assessment. To give it to Pharaoh Necho. Verse 36. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Now, chapter 24, verse 1. In his days, that's in Jehoiakim's days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Jehoiakim rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord sent against him, Jehoiakim, raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, King Manasseh, according to all that he had done and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Verse 5. 
Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Verse 7 is important, just for us to have in our mind. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So here is Jehoiakim. Here is Jehoiakim. So this is a good passage to put in your Bible, right in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, to write the reference down there, because this tells us about Jehoiakim. So let's turn back to Daniel 1, and, and uh, as you're doing that, I'm going to say some things about Jehoiakim. So we, we saw that he's the son of Josiah. Josiah was a good king. He brought in many religious reforms. But Josiah dies, and he dies in connection to uh, Pharaoh Necho. And Pharaoh Necho, when Josiah dies, Pharaoh Necho takes his son, Jehoahaz, and he takes him hostage. He takes him hostage and he takes him and he puts him up in a little city. It's not a little city, but a, a different city called Hamath. He puts him there. He's hostage. And then he's going to take him back to Egypt with him. Okay. So Jehoahaz is the royal hostage to the Egyptians. And so then Pharaoh Necho places Jehoiakim on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And so Jehoiakim is someone who's friendly to Egypt. Well, this doesn't last long. Uh, he's going to reign 11 years, but Nebuchadnezzar's going to come in, and Nebuchadnezzar's going to make Jehoiakim his vassal. Jehoiakim was the vassal of Egypt, but Nebuchadnezzar's going to come in and said, you're not dealing with Egypt anymore. You're dealing with Babylon. And so when Jehoiakim dies, his son Jehoiachin will rule in his place. And so that's, that is, in a nutshell, the, the, the history of Judah and, and Daniel's place in that history. And so we want to keep in mind that we're coming to the point in the history of Judah and of the Israelites where things are going to radically change. Because as we study the book of Daniel, we will find 